Father in heaven, you are good. Uh, we're mindful of, we've got our own worlds, uh, workplaces, homes, locations, situations. Our emotions may be joyful, sorrowful, sad, angry. But Father, what we do now, Lord, as we come under your word, minister to us. For your word speaks to all of us in whatever situation we're in, whether we're inside the circle of faith or even outside inquiring. May we see the beauty of Jesus and his mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are times when you just want to say, I want to join with Louis Armstrong and sing, What a wonderful world. That's a very bad rendition of that song. And I do want to say an apology to those online because it probably sounded even worse and in platinum. Um, but, but, you know, like just sometimes things happen. You think, man, this is a good world. I, I remember uh, I lost my wallet years ago and it had my ID, my credit cards, everything. And I was so concerned and so much effort to get them uh, return, you know, uh, reapply. And then two weeks later in the mail, there they were, everything. Someone had found, found the wallet and then returned it. Now, if it happened in Dubai, I wouldn't have been surprised. But this happened in Sydney, Australia. That was its own miracle. And I felt like saying, what a wonderful world. <laughs> and then sometimes things happen. You think, wow. You know, you, you hear of an event or a situation. You think, now, that's downright evil. There's something more than just even humans involved. I, re I remember going to um, uh, the Holocaust Museum. Uh, and it had, there was a map, and it had all the death camps during World War II under the Nazi regime, where they tried to exterminate, where they did exterminate up to six million Jewish people, including children. And you hear about it, and you see the evidence of that, and you think, now that's, I mean, everyone's responsible, he did the wrong thing, but you know it's more than just human sin. You know it's got the fingerprints of Satan all over it. It's times like that. If you've ever doubted whether there's a, a devil, you think, no, he exists because that's just downright evil. Friends, the devil does exist. The Bible is very clear. Uh, there is a devil. He is real. He is personal. He is powerful. Um, and uh, he, his mother tongue, his mother tongue is to lie. He can do no other than lie. And he's... And there are two big lies. Depending on your culture, you're probably more sensitive to one than the other. One lie is he's more powerful than God, or that God is somehow scared by him. The other lie is that he doesn't exist, and it's all made up, and it's a myth. And I wonder today which lie you're tempted to believe, because they're both lies. You know, as we come to Christmas, we're asking the question, why did the Son of God come here on earth? Why did he leave the palace of heaven to join us in this broken world? And in 1 John 3, verse 8, we read these words. And it's a surprising explanation for Christmas. The reason the Son of God appeared was what? To destroy the devil's work. Now, there's something you don't think of when you come to Christmas. To destroy the devil's work. Jesus' mission it actually began in a promise to Eve in Genesis 3.15 where God said, from you, Eve, will come one who will crush Satan's head. And then you're waiting. The whole of the Old Testament is a story of waiting until the deliverer would finally come. And then Jesus appeared to crush Satan's head. Jesus on a mission to firstly disarm, depower, and defeat the devil. 
to set us free and then will come again to judge the living and the dead and to cast Satan into hell. So let's look at one episode where Jesus confronts the kingdom of darkness and let's be very clear. Yeah, there's a devil all right and Jesus has complete power over him. Now, it's very important to understand that with the coming of Jesus, the king, there is this unleashing of demonic activity. I mean, right through the Old Testament, you don't see many demon possessions, but in the time of Jesus, there is so many of them. And I think it's because the king has come. The kingdom of God is being proclaimed. The demonstration of the signs and wonders of the king, proving that he is the son of God, is taking place. And Satan is terrified. Let's picture, let's, let me read to you Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, about the damage done under the hand of the evil one. They, Jesus and the disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. What a sad picture that is. Here is this poor man is devoured by the utter horror of evil. He cannot control himself and neither can anybody else. The enormous demonic power has turned itself against him to the point where he's trying to kill himself, but he can't even do that. The man cries out day and night, but there's no one to hear him. There's no one to help. People who've lived in the district have, have tried to bind him with chains and and, and uh, for his sake, for their sake, for the sake of their kids, everyone would walk around him because he was a threat to everyone, including himself. Not even the, the handcuffs on him um, would stop him from tearing his flesh. The demonic powers would cause him to break the chains. And there he is. You get that graphic image of self-harming. I mean, self-harming is always a sad thing, but this is actually demonic. And he breaks the chains, picks up rocks and stones, and Punches his own skin. Whoa. I tell you, if you want a picture of hell, there it is. And then sadly, he lives in the place of the dead by himself, forsaken by everyone. I've lived in some dumps in my time. In the early 20s when I was a university student, I lived in this one house. It was barely a house. And um, at two o'clock in the morning, when you open the cutlery drawer... With both hands, you could scoop up the cockroaches. There were so many of them. It was bad. Now, that probably had something to do with, you know, three guys living together and not really being very good at being clean. But anyway, but at least you shared it with other people. You know, like we weren't alone. We knew it was bad. The walls were falling apart, but we laughed. But this man, he has no friends to speak of. No place, no health, no hope. It's just... It's just dark in every corner. He cries out too. He cries out, but there's only the wind to hear him as it blows through the, grave, the, the graveyard. Like I said, if you want a picture of hell, this is it. The demons have so utterly destroyed this man's soul. And to this forsaken man comes Jesus, the King of kings and the light of the world. 
as he steps out of the boat, the demon in the man sees that the enemy has come and it's the king. The demon had so much power over this man, this, uh, but the, uh, the demons have no power over the son of God. Utterly powerless. In fact, the whole story is about the power of Jesus over the evil one. And it's clear. Jesus wants this man back. He wants to set him free. And we read in verse 8, chapter 5, verse 8, For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirits. You impure spirit. It's interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen any kind of exorcist type films, but usually there's six hours of arm wrestling going on and head spinning and green vomit. (laughs) Not with Jesus. Evil spirit come out of this man. Done. (laughs) And why did Jesus say it? I'll tell you why he said it. Because when the demon in the man see Jesus coming, he's absolutely terrified. And he starts to shriek and he starts to, Uh, named Jesus as though he were casting a spell over him. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Man, he is terrified. The demon in this man is terrified. He knows his enemy has come. He knows he has absolutely no control over Jesus. He is so scared. I don't know if you've ever been scared where you think, wow, I could die here. I had a pastor friend of mine visiting a family one day and uh, the teenage son was kind of mentally unwell and he came out and he had a loaded spear gun and he aimed it straight at the pastor's head. And, uh, you know, those things, they, they can take off pretty quickly. You're gone. The, the, the teenager, he was tense. The pastor, he was petrified. This could have gone really bad. He kept his cool, but he could have gone really bad. But I'm thinking here. Jesus has the, um, has the same thing happening. He's got the spear gun aimed straight at the demon's head and the demon is quaking in his boots. And then Jesus asks the question, what is your name? My name is Legion for we are many. A legion is a military term, like a battalion in the army. In the Roman army, there was like 5,000 Roman soldiers that made up a legion. And you think, whoa, 5,000 soldiers that make up a legion and the demons are saying there are many of us, perhaps thousands of us, taking up residence in this poor man's soul. These demons had just devoured this man's soul. And we know they're powerless before Jesus. You know why? Because they beg him, they beg Jesus to send them into the pigs And they only go into the pigs because Jesus gives them permission. Begging, permission. Who's in control? The Lord Jesus Christ, the King has come. And Jesus strangely listens to the demons and let them go into the pigs. Look at verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons, there it is, begged Jesus. Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, that's a lot of pigs, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. They begged, Jesus gave permission, and the pigs die. Now you ask, why would Jesus send them into the pigs? Because he knew exactly what was going to happen. 
I think three reasons. One, the time had not yet come. If you read the other gospel's account of the same event, we're told they were afraid they were going to be thrown into the abyss. That is to say, Jesus for now sends them into the pigs. But on the day of judgment, he will send the same demons into hell itself. In fact, Jesus describes hell, Matthew 25, if you want to look it up. He describes hell as the place prepared for the devil and his angels. Satan knows he's on a highway to hell. That's why you never want to take Satan's side. Secondly, there's something fitting about unclean spirits going into unclean pigs. Because in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, pigs were deemed as unclean. Not in the New, but in the Old. And so sending the unclean spirits into the unclean pigs seemed appropriate. Thirdly, um, sending, the pigs, sending the demons into the pigs and having the pigs go over, over the cliff, as it were, into the sea and dying. There's a sense like Jesus is making a point here. It's showing you the, the character of the demons. It's showing you that death and destruction mark everything to do with the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus is saying to us, you make sure you're not in the kingdom of darkness. Don't stay in there. You make sure you come out into the kingdom of God because there's only death and destruction awaiting for you if you stay there. And so the demons do enter the pigs and the pigs do go into the lake and finally they drown. That's a lot of dead pigs. My father was a vegetable farmer, but he also was a pig farmer. We had 120 pigs. That's a lot of pigs. 2,000 pigs is a whole lot more. (laughs) Now, I know some of you are feeling sorry for the pigs. Poor pigs. Who's feeling sorry for the pigs now? I know you animal lovers out there, and I'm an animal lover. I'm feeling sorry for the pigs. And it's worth thinking, though, perhaps thousands of demons enter into thousands of pigs, leading them to their death. But all that power was concentrated on one poor man made in God's image. Think that poor soul. But Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the full. I mean, this is such an opposite picture to the reason why Jesus came. He's come that you may have life and have it to the full. And no one knew that more than this man. Look at verse 15. This is probably one of my favorite sentences in the Bible. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man. This is the people in the district. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Now look at it. Read it very slowly. Sitting there. Sitting there dressed and in his right mind. Oh, that's beautiful. If you have the memory of what he was like before in those first five verses, he's now, he's no longer in the place of the dead anymore. He's in community. He's now with people. Um, He's not crying out to the wind. He's actually sitting there. He's not tearing at his flesh with stones. He's not breaking chains. He's not a threat to himself or anyone else. What chains and humans couldn't do, God did with the power of his word. The power of Jesus' word, unclean spirit, come out. Just a few words. He's so in charge. He's so good. He's so powerful. This man could now sit in peace. He's doing what you're doing right now. I know you're taking it for granted. He sits in peace. He's no longer tormented. Oh, and it feels good. He's at peace. He's at rest. And he could look up and give you a smile. He hadn't smiled in a long time. 
You know, when things are okay, now that Satan has left him, now that he's follower of Jesus, he could smile. Joy was part of his life. Happiness, wholeness. You could feel safe in his company. You could actually trust your children with him. Safe. Dressed. Sitting there. And in his right mind. I don't know if you've ever spoken to someone who's lost their mind. We all have people, probably some member of our extended family who's mentally unwell. And particularly those who hear voices. Voices that they can't stop hearing. And uh, they're tortured. They feel out of control. People around them can feel out of control as well. Now, it's very important. Can I stress this? Don't confuse mental illness with demon possession. That would be a very big mistake. Be very cruel to those who are battling with mental illness. Uh, I remember a man coming up to me years ago, and he said, Ray, I'm pretty sure I'm demon possessed. I said, why would you say that? He said, I hear voices. And I said, I don't think you're demon possessed, but how about this? Why don't I command the demon that you think you have in the name of Jesus out of you? And if nothing happens, why don't you go to the doctor? (laughs) I think, oh, well, I could be wrong. Maybe he did have one. So I said, you know, in the name of Jesus, I, I, I cast you out. I said, do you feel any different? He said, no. I said, why don't you go to the doctor? He went to the doctor, came back three, three weeks later. He was on medication. The voices are all gone. He was sitting there dressed and at peace. God's kindness happens in all sorts of ways, does it not? No less the work of God. But I want to say this. Satan never bows before medication. He didn't have a demon. But this man, he did have a demon. And don't mishear me. People do get demon-possessed now and then. But this man, this man is demon-possessed. And now he has been set free. And free indeed is he. And look what he does. Knowing that now he's been set free, his first instinct is to use his freedom to serve, to proclaim, to share, to follow Jesus. Let me read to you verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. The demons begged to go into the pigs, but he begs to go with Jesus. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He wants to follow his saviour, and he will, but not by getting into the boat. He's not going to be part of the 12 or the 72, but Jesus has a, a job for him to do like he has for every follower. He says, I want you to go home. I want you to go home and tell your family. You know your family who's given up on you? Your family who's been afraid of you? Family who's cut you off? Go to your friends who've given up on ever thinking you'll ever change. Those who've put you in a box and think, that's it, you'll never be different. That you're in a category that is unchangeable and have wiped their hands and given up. You go to them and you tell them what the Lord has done for you today. You go and tell them how the Lord has had mercy on you. You go and tell them that the king of this world, the king has come and he has dragged you out of the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. You go and tell them that the spirit of God, the spirit of the ruler of the age, Satan, is no longer in you. And now the spirit of God has come to take residence. You go and tell them that you're now the temple of God and his spirit lives with you. You go and tell them that God is good. And he is for you. A few chapters later, this man, uh, sorry, a few chapters later, Jesus returns to the same place. And there's all these people who believe in Jesus. Why? Because this man did exactly what Jesus told him to do. 
He went away and told them, once I was lost and now I'm found. Once I was dead and now I'm alive. Once I was far off and now I've been brought near. Once I was a slave to Satan, now I'm a child of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a good God we have. So friends, I want to say to you today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, why don't you go home and tell your family and friends, your work colleagues and your neighbours, what the Lord has done for you. Why don't you go home and tell them how he's had mercy on you? Sure, our story is not quite as dramatic as his story, but it is a story and it is just as valuable. Remember, in exactly the same way he was transformed, so have you. You have moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. You have moved from having the ruler of the spirit of the air, Satan, working at work in you, to now being born again and having the spirit of God in you. You've gone from being an enemy and a slave to sin and Satan to being a child of God. Oh, no. And all, maybe not as dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> you might not have been engaged in um, living in, in cemeteries. But you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, have done exactly the same journey as this man. We've got a story to tell. We can tell how we were once enslaved to sin. Now we're forgiven. Now we're children of God. Now that God is our father, we've got a story to tell. So go home and tell them about the Christmas Eve service, that they may come and hear the good news. So many people I've heard have come to church because of that Christmas Eve, Christmas Day service. They see the way in which God is at work in proclaiming and in hearing the beauty of the Lord Jesus and the wonder of the Lord Jesus. Coming to Jesus. What a good king we serve. You know, when you come to Christ, it's a mini exorcism. Did you know that? The ruler of the kingdom of the air leaves. He's actually cast out. And the spirit of God comes in. And so we, we are assured with that promise he who is in you, the Spirit of God, is greater than he who is in the world. So we then approach life from the vantage point of victory. Uh, my wife uh, went to Papua New Guinea many years ago. She lived in a small village in the highlands called Arave. And in that village, there were stone men uh, involved in witchcraft. And um, if they see you at night and they point the stone in your direction... Chances are you'll be dead within a week or two. They had power. They, had, they were engaging in demonic power, in casting spells that resulted in people's death. So as a result, no one went out at night, right? Absolutely no one would dare go out. When the sun set, that's it. Everyone stays home, except for the believers. Born-again believers knew that he who is in me is greater than he is in the world. So they walked freely, completely unintimidated by what Satan had done. How beautifully liberating. And it's interesting to me that when you plot the influence of Christianity into cultures, the way in which um, superstitions and fears move aside. Because once you have a big Jesus, you end up with a small Satan. <laughs> once you have a big Jesus, you end up with a small, a real Satan, but a Satan who has been disarmed. A Satan who is at the mercy of Jesus and not the other way around. And that's why you and I are given the promise, resist the devil and he will flee. Brothers and sisters, it is a great joy to know Jesus. And it is a great sadness when people walk away from him or refuse to come to him. So you think of those who either own the 2,000 pigs 
Think of those in the district who were afraid of the man. Think of those who heard about the power of the Lord Jesus, who commanded the demons into the pigs, and the pigs went over into the lake and drowned, who could see, whoa, the power of Jesus Christ, but could also see the love of Jesus Christ with the man dressed, sitting there and in his right mind. And what do you expect that they do? They beg Jesus to stay. No, they beg Jesus to leave. Verse 16. Those who had seen it, that is, seen the power of Jesus, seen the, the love of Jesus, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, that was the love of Jesus, and told about the pigs as well, that was the power of Jesus. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to what? Leave the region. Go away. You are too dangerous. You are too expensive to hang around. We've just lost 2,000 pigs. We do not want you in this place. You've just sent us broke. Do <laughs> you see the switch? The man who appeared to be lost to Satan in the kingdom of darkness is actually in the kingdom of God by virtue of begging to follow Jesus. But those God-fearing farmers, those family-loving, God-fearing farmers who begged Jesus to leave, proved that they were in the kingdom of darkness, that they were going to share the same destiny as Satan himself if they don't repent. Whoa, the complete opposite. Him who I think is gone has been found, and those who I think are in are out. And it all turns on your attitude to Jesus. My question for you today, friends, is this. Which kingdom do you belong to? Where do you stand with Jesus? Because he is very clear. There is no neutral ground. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of light. You're either for Jesus or you're against him. There is no, you know, in World War II, Switzerland took a position of neutrality. You can't do that in the kingdom of God. Jesus says you're either for me or you're against me. So I beg you today, don't stay against him. Don't think, because that fence you think you're sitting on, you know it's been owned by Satan. It's only when you decide to follow Jesus and have him as your Lord and Savior that you transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That is what Jesus wants you to do. And why wouldn't you want to do it? I mean, what have you got in the kingdom of darkness? Death and destruction, lies. What have you got in the kingdom of light? Forgiveness, mercy, adoption into God's family with God as your father. They're your options. And Jesus, where is he heading? He's heading for the cross. And what's he going to do there? He's This loving son of God is going to take full responsibility for every one of your failures, take it upon himself, offer you complete forgiveness, allow you to be adopted into God's family with God as your dad and heaven is your home. And Satan will be stripped of his weapons because right now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, he has a right to condemn you because you are on a highway to hell. And Jesus went to that cross to take your place so that you get on that highway of heaven. Oh, why wouldn't you? It seems to me, friends, that we so easily listen to the lies of the world and the lies of Satan. What we've got to do is keep our eyes on Jesus and see the beauty of our Savior. He is good. So go home. Go home today and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
Oh, Father in heaven, we are deeply sorry for our rebellion against you. We are thankful for those who follow Jesus, that we're part of your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, for those who are not yet part of your kingdom, that they will make Jesus their king and know the joy, the same joy that this poor man now filled with your spirit is enjoying sitting there dressed and in his right mind, completely transformed. Father, we thank you, Lord, that at the cross you disarmed the devil. We thank you that you have granted us the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that we too will go home this very day and tell those we know what you have done for us and how you have been good to us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' powerful and loving, wonderful name, and all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Oh, brothers and sisters, can I just say that again? Once your eyes are on the beauty of Jesus, you will see through the lies of this world and you will see through the lies of Satan. Keep your eyes. He is good. He is for you. So let's praise him for he is worth it. Amen.